This is the Pro-AV Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pro-AV Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Whether it's walking down the street in Times Square, heading to the stadium to watch your favorite team play, or hitting a music festival, digital signage is everywhere. And those are grand examples, too. If you look at just a walk down the street in any city, digital signage is everywhere. And today we're wanting to look past the technology and look at the consumers, the audiences. We want to ask, how are these digital screens doing more than just entertaining and drawing the eye? How are companies leveraging their digital assets paired with data to better understand their audiences and build a content plan? We're getting those answers, and we're turning to Mark Eisenstadt, Professional Services Manager at Dactronics, for them. All right, Mark, great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, your your career is chock full of great stories and and really some amazing projects, which I'm not going to tease just yet. We're going to wait to get to the juicy stuff here in a little bit. Um, but, you know, you've had a long, flourishing career in this industry. You've really got to feel the growth of digital engagement and how companies use digital assets to get their marketing across. So I'm really excited to get your insight on this. I think you are you know, a, a great thought leader, and I think people are going to learn a lot from this. Yeah, I'm excited to share some ideas and hopefully get some feedback down the road as well. For sure. So let's cut right to the chase. I want to ask, do you think that end-user companies fully understand the potential that digital signage can have to better understand their consumers? Right. So do, do you think that these companies who are utilizing their digital assets really understand how powerful their digital signage can be in helping them understand their audience? Why or why not? Yeah, I think that we're at a dawn of a horizon of this understanding. Um, if anything, the last two to four years have taught us is that understanding data, understanding who's viewing your message is just as important as any other type of marketing or branding. Um, the ability to target your message to a specific person or audience is is the key. Uh, as we all learned many, many years ago in, in college, if you took any marketing courses, it's all about uh, pinpointing and targeting your audience. And today, many, many, many digital users um, understand that. But I, I would argue a great deal more have uh, just started thinking about how to utilize these assets. Which is exciting. You know, we're finally getting to a point where everyone is a little better educated on the power of content, which, you know, is great, but it also is raising the bar too. You know, it's making making the need for content more apparent. And so therefore, you know, the, the bar is no longer as low. People need to bring quality content, need to have a, a more focused plan on how to use that content to make informed marketing decisions. Yeah, the, co- the content alone... Uh is no longer just an advertisement. There needs to be some call to action, uh, something that moves or captivates the interest of the audience. Um, And digital displays in particular have gotten to the point where uh, you you described walking down the street of any any town and seeing digital displays. Uh, Not 10 years ago, that was a rarity, right? The the first person to have the digital display on the road uh, could pretty much say anything they wanted. And it was the cool factor that they actually had something. Uh, 
Uh, now you have to really target your message, understand your audience, and understand the message you're trying to share. Right, exactly. And I think a big part of that has to do with the consumers themselves and how they consume content and what they're looking for. So I wanted to get your perspective on that. What do you think consumers are looking for nowadays from their content and all the different places they consume it, from entertainment venues to everyday city life to you know traveling at the airport, all of those kind of momentous and also mundane aspects of life, in all of them you're consuming content. And what do you think consumers are looking for in all those places? Yeah, this is the biggest shift, uh, really, from a display or a, a digital asset being a one-way communication tool to really there's it, it, a million different ways to get in front of a, a customer, a potential customer, a audience uh, of one or an audience of, of millions. And you have to really figure out ways to, to engage. And, and what, what we find, which is really fascinating, is a, a real decision has to be made, especially for those that are operating inside of a venue like a sporting venue or a place like uh, Times Square, as you described earlier, or uh, a theater, these kinds of places where you have captive or semi-captive audiences. Um, you have to decide, are you, and, and you really only have two choices. Are you going to embrace the fact that everybody is uh, using their phones uh, or other mobile devices in your venue, or are you going to run from it? Uh, neither is uh, today uh, a right or wrong answer, but you have to make a determination. And what happens then, based on that determination, if you choose to embrace the fact that people are going to utilize uh, other engagement activities while they're in your venue or, or in the proximity of your digital assets, uh, then you need to come up with ways to uh, pair those things up and advertise uh, or just share and compelling content in both markets or both screens, the large screen and the small screen in their hand. And then you get to have a lot of fun. Um, or you can choose to minimize uh, the, or try to minimize the amount of time people are spending on those mobile devices, which means that you have to change your messaging uh, on your primary uh, tool, maybe it's a video display in this case, uh, to, to cover all of the data that they, they're seeking through their mobile device. So you have to either uh, shape your messaging to get eyes away from mobile devices or shape your content in ways to uh, leverage those mobile devices. And that is the really the crossroads we find a lot of, our, of display owners or digital asset owners at today. Yeah, I also feel like consumers are looking for something authentic and, you know, the content, like you said, can't be salesy, can't be advertisey. It has to, I think, tell a larger story or have visual flair or have something that helps it stand out from the bunch. Uh, you know, digital signage indoors, outdoors, it can't really be used like a masthead for a website anymore, you know, where it's just got the latest, greatest deals. It, it needs to have content that people are going to remember, going to want to consume, going to want to Instagram, you know, like that that kind of Instagram ability of whatever it is you're producing. That, that's a very real metric that, um, you know, that, that I think really motivates whether a consumer is going to interact with your company or not. Yeah, people um, maybe think about social media in one way is everybody's always bragging about uh, I'm here, I'm there. Uh, but in fact, what, what you find when you talk to that generation that is is so consumed with social media, they're not really bragging that they were there. What they're trying to do is share the experience uh, with their peers, with their uh, loved ones, with their friends, 
Uh, and it's all about sharing an experience. A sh uh, a, everybody wants to be a part of something and that shared experience is the key. So when you think about a, um, a digital display, for instance, uh, it's how do you create a shared experience? And I'll tell you a quick story. I, I had a coworker once who uh, did game production at a major university uh, in the Southeastern Conference. And he brought his, his crew together, camera operators and such, uh, and he gave each of them a penny. And they, each penny had a different year on it, and he, he pre-planned it based on the age of the uh, attendees. But each one had a, a year on it. He had each person read the year of the penny they had on and give one memory that they had from that year. And uh, as you can imagine, some would be very heartfelt um, and, and some would be very lighthearted. Uh, so there was a little bit of laughing, a little bit of crying, a little bit of commiserating. So this is a really good team building exercise. But at the end, where he drew it all together, which ties back to this, he reminded everybody that the audience at that event is looking for their penny. They're looking for their memory. And our job, uh, in this case, as a production uh, or producer of, of digital content is to create those memories. And that still holds true today. How do we create those memories? How do we give those people those pennies to go home with from every event, from every interaction? Yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy. Gotta love those pressed pennies with the little dinosaurs on them. I probably still have a few somewhere under my bed or something. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it was um, it it was a, a stroke of genius, uh, to be fair. And I will tell you that going forward, that crew um, would actually call out when they made a penny for somebody during the event, mm -hmm. which was pretty fascinating stuff. So your career specifically is really chock full of these moments and these larger projects and events that I think really showcase the beginnings of this conversation of audiences looking for something more in their content. And though it was kind of in its infancy, um, the magnitude of the event, I think, makes what you were doing more impactful to the industry as a whole. So let's start breaking some of those down. You have had the pleasure of working with the Jacksonville Jaguars with working on Super Bowl 33 and also working at Madison Square Garden. And at all of them, you had a hand in creating their content and experience. So I wanted to have you break down some of your favorite moments from your career that you think really encapsulate this move toward using content in a smart way and using content to reach and understand an audience. Yeah, and here's where it gets fun. Uh, when I first started working in this business, I was actually a student at the University of Florida. Um, and then I went on, I was lucky enough to intern in a few places, including, uh, as you described, Madison Square Garden, uh, worked at the Super Bowl Committee and the Jaguars, and then back to coming to Dactronics to back to the University of Florida in an event production role. Uh, and then now in my current role as a professional services manager. But I was thinking back um, to what we thought of as content when I was at Madison Square Garden 20 plus years ago. And I started wondering, did we even have digital assets then? Uh, and, and I can't remember, which tells you how far we've gone when uh, at a facility like that, that, those digital assets are the centerpiece of the building. Um, so back then, content was really uh, basic uh, advertisement placement in still in newspapers and magazines and, you know, papering tickets to radio call-in shows and such. Um, that was the, the preferred method of reaching your audience. We, we had no idea what we were uh, going to see 5, 10, 15 years, 20 years later. As we, as we moved into places like uh, 
um, the Super Bowl committee. Again, um, that was a, a time when still the primary communication method uh, or advertising method for your activities was still either print or maybe you did a little bit of TV, but that could be costly. Uh, it was still print or radio. Um, and so your content had to be in these 30 second first and it was very addy. But I moved on um, into the Jaguars and, and um, I'll tell you some funny stories, but we, we realized there was this big fight and this is where some things started to change. We, we had a video board uh, and we played videos onto the video boards and advertisement into that into that medium was really during a commercial break on tv it was a commercial break in the building you would play you know the tv commercial that was being that was in the market at that moment was traffic to the video board the same way as it did for television hmm. um which nowadays sounds like a complete missed opportunity but back then unfathomable just, yeah right right unfathomable and and the entire industry went through this push of wait are we doing commercials or should we be doing features right is what what do we do today um in the in the era of dvrs when a commercial comes on we all skip it um and what was happening in those venues when commercials came on is people stopped paying attention now they didn't have a mobile device necessarily or most people didn't to to tune out which is exactly what would happen today but they would run to the bathroom or the, or the concession stand um and so there was this big push to, to come up with things called features, interactive elements, elements that were somehow in, informational or entertaining, um, and and which begat things like fan camps, right, uh, kiss cams, and those kinds of things. What was mo one of the defining moments for me uh, as a as an early career? Um, we were at the Jaguars. We were able to purchase a display, and that display had a pixel uh, matrix of. 320 pixels high by um, 1,200 pixels wide. I, I still remember the number because I recall uh, calling our local TV station and saying, hey, when you send over your spot, they did a um, today's weather uh, thing with their weatherman, and they would send it over um, that morning for a Sunday play it back, right? We would play it during the game. Hey, the weather for today's game is going to be this. Um, and I told them, hey, the display is 1,200 by uh, 1,200 wide by 320 high. And they said, no such thing we can't make content like that. There's no such thing. Well, not only is there such thing and I'm staring at it outside of this window, this is the size that it needs to be. And, and that solidified in my mind that there was going to be this uh, divergence from, uh, from regular TV uh, to these digital assets that are, that are, that are being targeted to very specific uh, location, specific audiences. I love that. Yeah. The, the kind of, natural progression towards content being geared towards a specific audience came from a, a technical perspective too. It wasn't all just a, a cultural or a, um, you know, a, a literal content shift. The fact that, you know, changing technology also kind of helped propel this idea forward um, is, is pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. And today you see displays that are, are just totally extreme um, where you have a display at the Atlanta Falcons that's uh, 60 feet tall and 1100 feet around. Uh, just again, at 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, that would have been unimaginable. Uh, and because of that content, uh, display owners uh, have had to, be creative and, and be uh, trailblazers in content creation. And they have to be really, really po uh, powerful in their messaging. How am I going to use all of this real estate 
to engage my audience. It's not, it's not enough to show, uh, which it was when I first came into the career into this business, you could show a play, you'd show a replay, uh, you'd show the next play, you'd show a replay, you'd show the next play, you'd show a replay. It's not enough to show that. Now you have to show two, three, four, five angles of replay. And then during that uh, non-game time, you have to engage that audience, which is what we were talking about earlier. You have to uh, move forward and either embrace the mobile device or, or run from it. Um, and if you're running from it, you have, to, you have to fill that real estate with a great deal of, of data on a regular basis. And, and by data, I mean uh, it's, it's part of your storytelling. But if you embrace it, you have some opportunities to do some really great stuff. And this is where your, your initial question of how do marketers use this data? How do, how do audiences um, give up this data? Um, and, and it's almost like a, uh, a, a secret way into the, to the consumer or to the audience. You've got to provide them uh, some gamification, some reason to engage with something that you're going to capture data from. So if you go to a game uh, or you're in Times Square and there's a, a reverse auction, for instance, or there's some other type of an activity going on that re requires you to engage with an app or a website or something, uh, typically uh, those apps or websites will say, hey, by the way, we're going we're gonna to capture data for marketing purposes. And now all of a sudden we have this just giant flood of information that's available to uh, a user. Uh, and by user, I mean a, a display owner operator, uh, somebody who has something they're trying to convince somebody to, to engage with or buy or some messaging they're trying to get out. And now you can target that messaging um, in ways that were, were not possible, not even that long ago. So what did the beginnings of that targeted messaging and targeted content look like before we had all this in-depth data and before we were able to, you know, source viewing habits and stuff from people's mobile devices. Um, let's say just back when you were working with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm sure you saw kind of the, the beginnings of that. Um, what did that look like and how did that begin to shape how we try to target our content today and how we look at the data that we have today? Yeah, so what we were able to, to start thinking about back then was how do you segment, how do you know who... Is, is viewing certain content and how do you get a message just to those people? Uh, so if we think about uh, the big difference between the average uh, game attendee and say a suite holder, right? Somebody who owns a luxury box or luxury suite um, is they're looking at it for and they're spending money in different ways. Uh, and so we early on, we looked at our partnership at that time with uh, Ford Motor Company who still owned uh, Jaguar then and realized that you know the Ford pickup truck here in Jacksonville was probably the right uh, product to try to sell to the 80% of the people in the building, or even maybe 90% of the people in the building. But maybe the Jaguar was something you wanted to sell to the, the uh, more affluent people. And so we started looking at ways to, to target a message differently. And, and it started with, could we do some channel insertion on the TVs? Uh, could we make a channel? Um, for the suites, where when they're watching the game, uh, they're getting targeted advertising. And if you're at the at the bar or uh, other places, um, you might get a different targeted advertising. That was the the starting point. But even then, that the messaging was quite um, quite basic. It was still very very similar to what you might see on television. It would just be a different ad for this group versus that group. But that was the start, right, of that segmentation. 
And so as we move forward um, today, what we're able to do is uh, realize that there's a far greater nuance than that. Um, one of the really fascinating things about the sports business today is you have a really good hold on who bought tickets to your event. And, and any ticketed event, you, you can get a good idea of who bought the tickets. Uh, that's, a, that's a function of the ticketing systems and the, and the great data that they're able to provide. Um, but let me ask you this, Daniel, when's the last time you bought a ticket direct from uh, the, the venue or the team versus buying it on, say, Ticketmaster or StubHub or, or one of these third-party locations? Yeah, I mean, uh, not in recent memory at all. Probably when it was required right. from some small little thing in college. Yeah, I mean, even my uh, even my Metro Pass, I'm just buying and downloading on my app on the phone. So yeah, you're right. I mean, people don't really buy tickets like that anymore. Yep. It's not convenient. You lose it. You know, it's uh, though maybe there's some intrinsic collector's value there. It's just not really, it's not really the norm. Yeah, and many venues don't are, are ticketless anyway now. Right. Uh, so one of the interesting things is is because there's such a um, ability to have a secondary market for ticketing, um, the people who are running these venues they know who bought the tickets maybe originally. They may even know who the season ticket holders are. But if a season ticket holder were to give you a ticket, Daniel, um, the the venue has a, a very little information about who's actually in the building. Uh, and there's some interesting data out there, and, and it seems like it's early on to understand it, but about who's really in the building, what percentage of the actual buyer of the ticket is actually the person in the building right. Right, versus somebody who they gave a ticket to, sold it on the street uh, you know, with the two fingers in the air or whatever, right? I got two tickets. Um, so what these mobile engagement technologies now are able to do uh, is say, hey, uh, go come play a game on our app, right? Uh, that's going to be displayed onto a display in a shared environment, a shared experience with all of your 70 or 80 or 100,000 closest friends uh, here at the football stadium or 20 or 30,000 closest friends at the arena or what have you. And then guess what? Once you're in that app, they've captured who was actually in the building. Um, and it goes further. Uh, if, that, if that game or what have you is tied to a specific uh, product or product type, now not only do they know you were there, Daniel, they know that you were a qualified lead because you were interested in that product so uh, they can target their activities because marketing to 100,000 or 80,000 individuals um, or a million individuals over the course of any kind of a season is very, very difficult. But if I can call that down to a targeted audience of 10,000 or 5,000 or less that are likely to buy my product, um, that's the goals, right? Yeah. And we see that type of engagement as possible, yeah, not just in, in these sort of um, uh, big fan or big audience environments, but even in places uh, like Times Square where you can geofence this uh, type of data. I can, I can capture data within a certain space of my, my imagery. Uh, so who, who's reacting on social media to a piece of content that I might be putting up onto a display and how, how are they reacting within a, oh, I don't know, 100 hundred meter or 200 meter radius of that imagery. Um, and then you can actually understand how effective your marketing is at that point. So it's a little bit different. It's different. It's not knowing who's actually there, although you can do that now, but it's, it's combining this idea of a shared experience that we described earlier in social media uh, with the uh, understanding that that can give you a good guideline for how effective your advertising is. 
in changing thought or, or, or behavior. So is targeted content in the moment and out and about more useful when it's part of a larger network of data acquisition and of understanding who your audience is? So like you said, pulling from mobile devices, pulling from um, information at the local retailers around the area, pulling information from social media. Is, is that where you really get to utilize these digital signage assets to their fullest potential? Yeah, the more data you can pull together about your audience or, or your uh, engagements, the better. However, I would caution that you, you might actually leave uh, uh, some customers on the table if you get too tight, right? Right. Try to have too many limiting factors. Um, the goal of, of these types of engagements is is to cast a fairly wide net, right? You want to see as many people as, as can put eyeballs onto your, uh, your content. Uh, so you don't want to you don't want to limit too far, but you you also would prefer to have these uh, qualified leads versus uh, just a list of of tons and tons of people who may or may not have engaged. We've talked a lot about the positives, but we haven't really dug into any of the bigger challenges yet. Uh, so, Mark, I wanted to get your perspective on that too. Are there a lot of potential challenges that producers or marketers might face when they're trying to capture this data? on digital engagement and translate it into actionable marketing content? Um, and if there are, what would you say are the most common ones? Yeah, I think uh, there are challenges, but uh, they're no different than any other kind of data mining or, or sure. other activities. Uh, you have a certain percentage of false data, although I just uh, recently spoke with a company that does some of this activity, and they said they had a 96% postal rate match. Oof. Uh, which is incredible, right? That yeah. means that 96% of the people are, are giving them real information. Um, uh, I, I, I was shocked, right? I, I expected it to be much, much lower. Um, but, uh, you know, you do have that risk, right, of people putting false information in. Um, you also have the risk of uh, people pushing back or even clicking, do not share my information, right? And so now you've invested in some content or activity and uh, maybe you're not getting all the information you would hope. Those are the risks, um, but I think they far outweigh are, are outweighed by the rewards of, of really uh, delivering messages in dynamic ways. And if we think about even if you're not going to do this type of engagement activity, just the messaging, wh how the messaging has changed over the years uh, on these types of displays uh, from, um, hey, it's uh, it's nine, $99 oil change day. Maybe that's a little expensive, but uh, <laughs> it's some kind of a special being run. Uh, on uh, at this venue, right? Uh, to now, it's it's engagement that tries to get you thinking. Um, they take you down a, a path of of um, of selling uh, in such a way that you're, you're it's not as obtrusive. Yeah, we still yeah. see the uh, buy one get one specials on certain displays and certain signage in certain assets, but more frequently now you'll see um, a, a true program. Uh, or a programmatic attack uh, to the messaging. Uh, you'll see so specifically size messaging. We talked earlier about the about the TV studio here that told me it was impossible to make something in a shape. Right. Um, but now you see all kinds of fun shapes out there. Um, you know, wacky shapes, shapes with curves, shapes with angles, um, things that fit uh, nicely into the architecture of a building. You see all that stuff now, and people are able to make content. But they're making content specific to that. They're not trying to take their um, their banner ad content that that's sort of the same shape off of a, 
you know, their, their favorite website and then move it over. Or they're not trying to take um, content off of television or print and move it over. They're recognizing these things as what they are, which is a, a completely separate and um, unique uh, medium. Yeah, and I think that's exactly how marketers and producers of this content should look at it uh, because there's really nothing quite like consuming content when you're already in the mindset of getting an experience or or you know going to a physical place you know when you're consuming a video or something on your computer or your phone in the comfort of your own home your mind's in a different place once you've already made the effort to get up off the couch or <laughs> get out of bed and you know you want to go to x store or you want to peruse downtown or you're wanting to go see your favorite band play you're kind of already amped to be in that place so if the content can be more creative, more engaging, more unique, you actually have a chance to really make a, a positive and a lasting impact on someone that could become a a repeat customer or a first time customer or or you know really solidify someone's love for your brand or company. Yeah, you got it. I mean, if we think about uh, early content on these types of uh, displays um, and these types of mediums, it, it was really just a uh, a still image uh, of some sort. Uh, almost a slideshow, right? Um, a series of still images. And now you have truly engaging content. You have things like uh, uh, self-aware or semi-self-aware display systems that can recognize your face and tell you things about yourself. And even uh, the future might be to guide you to the store down the road that has the thing that you viewed on in your browser history last weekend assuming that that's what you're trying to purchase while you're out at the mall. Uh, that's the future, right, is, is a truly guided experience it, it, entangling um, the display systems with your mobile systems, with your at-home browsers and, and such, and really making it easy for you to go and, and find what you, what you came to, to look at. All right, so let's go ahead and wrap up by looking at the now, really, and more looking at the future. So you've been at Dactronics for 10-plus years. You've really gotten to see the growth of utilizing digital assets for engagement during your time at, at the Jags, Super Bowl 33, Madison Square Garden, even the University of Florida. Um, but now that you've been at Dactronics for a while and you've really gotten to see it explode, what do you think the future of digital engagement, especially digital signage content engagement really feels like you know what what do you think is the next step how do people continue to differentiate themselves now that content is a little more standardized yeah i think there's a few things that we'll start seeing which is um, going away from standardized content to highly or hyper targeted content content hmm. that's specific to you daniel it's specific to me um and and a way to for the the systems to understand who i am um and give me content that I am interested in in a predictive or uh, manner. To do you mean like uh, like futuristic kind of Blade Runner kind of stuff? Yeah, hopefully not that. Uh, hopefully no dystopian stuff. Uh, we don't need the the machines coming back and uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger having to come save us. Uh, <laughs> right, buy um, our product. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully not that bad, but you know, uh, maybe. Uh, no, I what I would <laughs> what I would expect is that the the uh, engagement with you is very unique to you, that the venue that you're in knows that you're there, uh, knows where you're going to sit, uh, knows what your likes and dislikes are, uh, and is able to uh, communicate with you 
things that you you will find interesting. Um, so if you're at a, a baseball game, m- maybe you're at a game um, in Texas, but you're a fan of, of the team in Boston uh, and they're not playing there. Uh, so the, the system would be able to understand that, yes, you're at the game, you're interested in the game you're at, uh, but you really are closely following Boston. Or, um, you know, fantasy sports might be another way to do it, that it, somehow the, uh, a, a interactive display system would know uh, who's on your fantasy team and who you're playing against. And all that stuff that you're looking to your mobile device for might be served up in other ways in the future. Yeah. Um, and and you could imagine that those pieces, and you're already seeing it today where um, in some places uh, the fans have the ability to uh, pick their own replays on their mobile device. Uh, and those replays are being shot, right? The cameras are in the building uh, for in-venue video displays. Uh, but you can choose your own replay. Um, it's all, I think the future is all about total customization and hyper-targeting and the advertising should follow. Um, if I can do all of that stuff myself and have a, in my own, my very own experience when I go to a venue, which is unique to me, uh, then the advertising should follow. I'd agree. I think at the core of it is really a focus on, on understanding who your audience is. And I think when you do that first and foremost, and you use as much data as you can to really understand who is it that's consuming our product? Who is it that's going to our games? You know, who is it that's out and about in Times Square on 3 p.m. on a Thursday? Then you can start to really create the content that's going to resonate to those people. So I'm actually pretty excited, even if there is that inkling of <laughs> dystopian society kind of peeking its way through. The the idea that content can be totally created or targeted to just me as a consumer, uh, you know, I think people have some idea that that is a little scary, but I, I don't think it is. I think it's exciting because the potential for inventive content and utilizing that in really unique and creative ways really outweighs the the kind of weirdness of you seeing something that, you know, either has your name on it or is like, oh, wow, I was just looking at something like that and check out that really cool animation that just popped up on the digital signage that I walked by on a random weekday, you know, like that kind of awe factor, I think will elevate this content to the next level. And it's, it's definitely exciting. Yeah. And we already see some of that, uh, in, uh, in our day to day, those of us that, that are spending time on the internet, your, the banner ads, uh, uh, in your social media uh, feeds, things like that are already taking a lot of that into consideration. So now the next step is how do I target that and, and build that in, not just for the advertising side, but the entertainment factor, the informational factor, the engagement factor, uh, to give you that very personalized experience that you're so excited about that you're willing to share with your friends, um, that you you want to bring them in um, through through whatever the social media platform of the day may be. Well, Mark, I want to thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. It was a pleasure getting to chat. And, uh, you know, I, not only does your career path really speak for itself, but I think you brought up a lot of really exciting points. And I know I'm personally just looking forward to what this future for digital signage and content looks like because being a content creator myself, I'm always inspired when... I see content of all kinds, whether it's, you know, bedroom pop or it's focused, targeted advertising in Times Square. You know, when anything can be creative like that, it really 
really gets my blood flowing. So it's exciting for me. I know it's exciting for you and it should be exciting for the industry. So again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Really enjoyed the chat. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. Thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous ones, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.